And here we go, Charles Moskowitz. Thanks for joining me. Michael D. Shaw is here. He's a chemist by trade. He's an author of medical articles by the, I think he's up to a thousand articles now over a 10, 15 year period. Mike, thanks for joining me. Hey, always a pleasure. So Mike, we've been talking about the election and uh, what could be more important right now. Um, I see at this point three paths forward for President Trump, one of which would be very perilous. What? No, I was going to say that's more than I see. But <laughs> Well, let me just outline yep. them, one of which would be perilous and dangerous. The first two more conventional paths is that even though the Supreme Court seems like, in my opinion, it is somewhat compromised. I've heard some stories coming out of there that, that don't bode well. Nevertheless, they have in front of them six or seven cases that are on the docket, right. four of which are from Sidney Powell. Those are filled with evidence of, of massive voter fraud, including you know testimony and affidavits and, and pictures and video, and they're just an ext extraordinary uh, presentation. The, um, and then others include one that's still active in Pennsylvania regarding the fact that bureaucrats had changed the laws to um, help Biden and they did so behind the back of the legislature, which is unconstitutional. Uh, I think that uh, attorney Lynn Wood has one going in Georgia. And my good friend, Dr. Jerome Corsi, along with Larry Clayman, who I interviewed yesterday, they have one that's now lodged at the Supreme Court a general legal theory uh, that bases that voids the election. I don't know how far it'll go, but it's there. And uh, if the Supreme Court takes even one of these, then that's going to open up the whole question of voter fraud. Now, the second course involves on January 8th, I believe the Constitution says that the electors vote and their, ele and their votes are counted and the president is declared a winner based on that vote. In front of Congress. In front of Congress. Right. But the, uh, if, one if one US congressman and one senator stands up and objects, then it goes into the House and you have each state appoint one delegate. And when I say each state, I'm talking each state legislature, not governor, not anyone else. And the Republicans control 31 state legislatures. So that means that Donald Trump will be reelected. Now, as of now, there is one congressman who has stepped up, that being Mo Brooks, Mo Brooks. of Arizona. Well, what about a senator? Well, that's the question. We're all these senators pounding their chests and bloviating like, <laughs> uh, like uh, you know, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and Marsha Blackburn, who's been on my program. Uh, you know, there are a bunch of conservative senators, Lindsey Graham, you know, there are several conservative senators. Now we're going to see what they're made of. We're going to see whether or not they can stand up. Now, apparently this was attempted during the Bush-Gore uh, controversy. When, uh, Bush, when the Bush-Gore delegates voted on January of uh, the year 2000, I think it was, yeah. Right. Or 2001. Um, there was a congressman who apparently stepped up and, and challenged it but they couldn't get a senator. So the whole thing went down in flames. So that is the second option. The third option is a lot less palatable and, and is, is a dangerous and perilous course. 
And that is that given the fact that we now have evidence from Antrim County in Michigan that the, um, and it's irrefutable, the, they sent in a team of cyber experts who were not political people, they just were experts uh, at the order of a, of a local judge who, uh, who responded positively to a lawsuit brought by local citizens in Antrim County. Antrim County, we should recall, had 6,000 votes switched from, by, uh, from Trump to Biden and also some local races, and that the Secretary of State claimed that it was human error. She claimed that it was- That's some error. Yeah, right, exactly. But, but that turned out to be untrue because the forensic audit proved that it was the machines who did it, that the machines had been rigged, that they had been set up in advance, and that they, they were online. So with that kind of evidence, now you have other jurisdictions uh, doing audits of their machines, including one in Georgia and one in Arizona. And um, I think that under this guise, President Trump has enough evidence to trigger the um, Insurrection Act, which was signed by executive order. So it's not totally, you know, it, it could be questioned, but he could, it, it was signed in 2018. That basically says that if there was foreign interference or domestic interference in a, an election, then the president could declare a semi-state of, of martial law and seize these machines across the board, have them all forensically audited, um, and even suspend the election. Now, this is a perilous course, of course, and that the president would have to go before Congress and present the evidence and go before the country in the form of media and present the evidence. And it very well could lead to having another election. I mean, it's, a, it's an extreme measure and it's one that could, could also backfire in a big way in that Trump could be placed under house arrest for that if, if, if the country doesn't cooperate and it doesn't look like it will. So, you know, um, those are the I three options. What do you think? Yeah, all right, all right. well, the third one is very extreme. Right. Um, and I think the problem here, which was <clears throat> well indicated by the Supreme Court's inaction is, and I said before, Nobody wants to be the guy, all right, that, that's going to overturn this. Uh, the Supreme Court, in my judgment, has been mostly a farce almost since its inception. Uh, most of the so-called classic decisions that everybody likes were strictly political. And uh, as I pose this to uh, people, if you were a distinguished attorney, would you A, take a job for $200,000 a year or make maybe five to six times that or more in a firm? And why are you choosing the uh, federal judiciary? Well, maybe you like the prestige. Maybe you like the lifetime appointment. Maybe you're kind of lazy uh, and all the above. So my point is, that's exactly the wrong resume for someone to take a stand. How much easier is it to sit back and move the paperwork? So uh, whether you're Amy Barrett or any of the others, uh, I'm unimpressed. This was the one time they could have stepped up, but instead they didn't want to get their robes dirty. Uh, and, and where this thing was truly ironic is, that the 
liberals, of course, didn't want to have anything to do with it. But then the conservatives didn't either, because you see, under a strict construction basis, we don't want to really rock the boat to such an extent. So that's DOA. I mean, I think the, the only thing that really is going to happen is if Mo Brooks can get a senator. Um, here again, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of fire-breathing senators. Right. But we will see. My take is that it won't happen because, again, this is a cliche now, Ted Cruz doesn't want to be the guy. Marsha Blackburn, maybe? Well, if she's, it would be interesting if the, if the guy ends up being a woman and maybe she doesn't care about any future career. Well, that's it. You have to have somebody who just has such strong principles that they're willing to not only forfeit their future, but they're actually willing to put their life and their family's life at risk because it's a very dangerous She's situation. the most likely, I think. Yeah. Now, whether that's going to happen, I don't know. I mean, they have till January 8th. You have to have somebody like that. I mean, I, I'll point to an example recently, and that is my friend and regular guest in this program, Dr. Jerome Corsi. Now, Dr. Corsi was called before the Mueller group, we may yes. remember, yes, you know, these groups of brown shirts. And they said to him, he said, you say what we want you to say, and you'll be fine. If you don't, we're going to put you in jail. And uh, basically, in a nutshell. Yeah. And Corsi said, look, I'm in my late 70s. You know, I'm not in the greatest of health. I've lived a good, honest life. I'm not going to start lying now. I'm at peace with my Lord. And I don't care. I'm, well, I'm ready to go to jail because I ain't doing it. And he stood up to them. And I think that was one of the, one of, not the only, but one of the final nails in the coffin of that whole rotten conspiracy to try to prove that Donald Trump is spying for the Russians. And it was shortly after that they closed shop. So funny how that worked out that way. Huh? Yeah, well, that's right. And that's what we need now. We need a Jerome Corsi. I don't mean to exalt Dr. Corsi. I admire him. I'm not saying he's some saint, but he did stand up at that time. He did put everything on the line and we need to have somebody in this country who's willing to do that in the Senate. Um, and uh, if that happens, then it'll, it'll fly. Um, as far as the Supreme Court goes, I think I mentioned last time, Mike, what I heard on Jeff Kuna's program, did I? Or maybe I'm not. not. Sure. I, I don't know well, Jeff, Jeff Kuna is a Boston talk show host, WRKO. He's an excellent host. He's been around for a long time. He's a former professor from McGill University, he's Canadian, he's, he became an American citizen. He uh, was the editor of the Washington Times for a number of years. He's just, a, in my opinion, a very good and very solid and credible source. And he says that there is a tape of a conversation that took place in the Supreme Court by a clerk who probably needs to remain nameless because if he's, he or she is named, they could be in big trouble but they recorded John Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, basically calling to the carpet the three Trump judges, those being Barrett, Kavanaugh, and, and Gorsuch. And when I say calling them down, banging the table, every kind of threatening word, expletives, you effing this and effing that, you're juniors, I'm the Chief Justice, you do what I say. 
and threats and uh, that they could not go along with the Texas case, which is why they all caved. Now, again, I don't know if that's true. Well, here's and, the problem with that. What power does he have? It's a lifetime appointment. Well, that's just it. Maybe, maybe, you know, they, they are playing in the big leagues over there and maybe there were threats made to, their, to them and their families. I don't mean to exaggerate here, but there's a lot on the line with this. And Roberts is a, you know, he's a, I, I would suggest a conspirator at now, best. Well, Roberts is damaged goods. I mean, yeah. The story going around for years that the kids that he adopted was done illegally. But it's so well known that I don't even know why that's a threat. But well, the th it, it is a threat. Let me just talk about that briefly. In that, when yeah. Obama, everyone knows that Obama was a control freak who was spying on everybody and and eavesdropping all over the world. I mean, Angela Merkel wanted to have him brought up on charges at the UN. She was so angry when she found out that he was bugging her phone. You know, this is he would spy on friends and enemies, and he continued spying. We know that he was involved in the FISA gate scandal. Yeah. Well, apparently, people that were connected to him were eavesdropping on Robert's emails, private emails. And they found out that, yes, Roberts and his wife adopted two children from Ireland, and that the Irish laws around adoption are very strict, and that there might have been some questions about the legality of that adoption. And that uh, when this information was presented to Roberts, which was a threat, it just was a bridge too far for him and his wife. They well, did not want to lose the two what children. The, what the details were, as I was told, yeah, is that the paperwork was dinked so that it appeared that they were adopted from Peru. Okay. And the, the only trouble with that story is that everybody knows that story. So why it's it's still a bargaining chip, I don't know. But I think some other pressure may have been put on this guy because he, to me, looks like the ultimate weasel and tool. Uh, well, the, and other, the other thing is, and, and this is not really relevant in today's terms either, but Larry Clayman, who was on my show yesterday and who, uh, you know, he's the founder of Judicial Watch. He's, right. he's brought several lawsuits that are pretty significant. He says that Roberts is a closeted homosexual who, you know, by in his generation was a real no-no. I mean, by today, no, no one really cares, but yeah. that he's being blackmailed for that. Although I don't know if he'd be, you know, feel blackmailed over that at this point. I think that pressure was put on him, which he attempted to exert on the three conservatives. And, you know, more's the pity if that's true. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, and they still could have said no. You know, yeah. they could have stood up. Whatever happened to Amy Barrett? You yeah. know, we all had such high hopes, you know? Yeah, well, it was hopes. <laughs> the other two, I don't know. But, I mean, she was somebody that, that we thought had some, some, uh, some well, stones. But, but, Charles, this was the test. This yeah. was the test, and they failed. Okay? Yep. That's uh, right. Although they still have a few bites at the apple, there are still seven cases. Well, are they going to are going to stand up on on those well, cases? That's that's the question. And um, you know, there is still a lot of agitation. The other thing that we haven't talked about is the fact that um, on on uh, Monday, when the uh, delegates were chosen by the states, there was a slate of alternative delegates chosen in five states, including New Mexico. Apparently, see, I think it's six states. That, that, you know, even though those Republicans that were elected, 
don't have any official standing. Nevertheless, the very fact that this happened shows that they are contesting those races. They had and apparently, to get on record contesting it. But yeah, and I guess this had happened once before in 1960 in Hawaii, where a delegation, even though Hawaii had voted for Nixon, a Kennedy delegation was elected as an alternative delegation. And I think it also happened in 1948 with a Strom Thurmond, I believe, or, or there was some other example of this. Hmm. So it's not unprecedented in American history that these delegates who are alternative delegates are sort of in a condition of standby. And it means that technically, I think, and again, I'm not a lawyer here, but at least by theory, legally, those states are still in contest. They are still not completely you know, clear in terms of whom they're sending to um, the delegate in terms of sending in terms of the delegation. And that uh, I think all of those states have Republican legislatures. The Republican legislatures can still exert their constitutional authority and pick their own electors. You know, I think that there are several good state elected officials who are waking up to this fact. There's this guy in, uh, in Pennsylvania, Mastriano. There's one in Arizona, Finchley. Hmm. There are a couple of others who are coming out and realizing that their office holds certain legal powers and that they can exercise those powers. So I think if public pressure is brought to bear, then, then they very well may do that. And there is growing public pressure. You know, in Arizona, there is Maricopa County, which is most of the state of Arizona. There were some major problems. Same thing in Nevada, in Clark County, which is where Saint, uh, Las Vegas mm -hmm. is. And I think that Pennsylvania is on fire. Georgia is on fire. You know, the, 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 the fraud is so obvious that these legislatures, which are all Republican, may be pushed in that direction still. Well, I mean, the, the tell for me is that Biden has said exactly nothing about this. You would think that he would, to some extent, want to ensure, at least for public consumption, that this was all legit. And to simply ignore it may not be the right course for him. I think he's getting some pretty bad advice. Well, I mean, the thing with him is that, uh, and I don't, know, I don't know the answer to this question, but we now know that the, you know, officially we've known it for a year, you and I have known it, but it's now come out in the mainstream media that Hunter Biden and, and James Biden and, and probably uh, Joe Biden are being investigated by the FBI for, for tax fraud and for possible money laundering and, and other crimes. Um, you know, there was 400, specifically $400,000 that, that went unreported from Burisma. Now, this was kept under wraps by Barr, who was a complete traitor. The fact that he would do that, he wouldn't even tell Trump about it until after the election. Um, but, but nevertheless, put, putting aside the fact that it vindicates Trump on the, the, the uh, Ukrainian perfect phone call, because that whole thing was that Trump was trying to cook up a scandal that to ensnare Biden and hurt him politically, and, and that it was made up and he was pressuring the Ukrainians. But in fact, we now know it was absolutely true and had known that. Now, the, now it's being admitted after the election. My, my question is, why are they admitting it now? I mean, there was such a media blackout all the way up. And when it did come up in October, 
NPR came out with a public statement saying, we're not going to cover this. Yeah. Yeah. And the other networks basically, and you can take a look, there's a good video on this, I think on YouTube, where they show like a succession of people, you know, literally saying the same thing, which was that this was Russian disinformation. It was Russian propaganda, which we now know is a lie. And, and so my question is, why are they doing it now? I mean, do they have to well, do I it? I think I know why. Why? Um, because there, there's, some, there's some joy in being intrinsically evil. And one of the cool things you can do is put it in our face. Hey, you know what? We did lie about this and now we're coming out and you- So can't now because they think the election is secure, yeah. they can get away with it. Yeah, you can't do anything about it. <laughs> it's like the way the Boston Globe always operated every single election. They would keep bad news under wraps about their guy yeah. And then they'd wait until after the election and their guy is, is comfortably ensconced and has won. And then they wait till as Christmas approaches, they release the bad news. And there's a little day of gnashing of teeth and everybody forgets about it and gets involved in the yeah. holiday. I mean, maybe they thought that. They figured we're going to have to release this eventually. We might as well get it over with, go through a little tough spot, you know, and then move on. Yeah, well, I mean, apparently nothing can hurt them, you know, no matter yeah. what you do. But I think it's, I think that that could hurt them because I think it's expanding now. And now I've heard, and this is a rumor. I haven't actually seen this. Some people are claiming they have it, but Trump has declassified all of the WikiLeaks and he's about to pardon Julian Assange. Yeah, that now, I... yeah you've heard this. Yeah. And that, that that's going to contain, it's going to expand this scandal and and it's going to ensnare further Hillary Clinton according to this source and again I'm not here to confirm this that she had taken an 18 million dollar bribe just before the election there's also a um, you know there's a whistleblower involved in that a very high level businessman who was for, who was privy to that and and other stuff that's sort of coming out of the that's leaching out from the <laughs> from the WikiLeaks, so you know maybe this whole Hunter Biden thing is backfiring on them because it's opened a can of worms, and that now it's going to this this calls for Trump whether he stays or not to appoint a special prosecutor to look into um, Biden's family, and uh, if that happens, then whether Trump remains president or not, that prosecutor's office could be around for years. And uh, they would be like another Mueller committee. Although I don't think they're going to get the friendly treatment, of course, that Mueller got. I mean, you know, with Mueller, I mean, every day there was like breaking bombshell, you know, and then, yeah, yeah. you know, we, I get the- Well, the only problem with the special prosecutor is they better make sure it's not a U.S. attorney. It's going to have to be some regular Johnny Doorknob guy that isn't subject to the whims of the incoming president who will often fire all the U.S. attorneys. Right. That's true. So then, yeah, that, that, that's right. But um, there won't be, a. I mean, the, the whole thing, either way, no matter who it is, it's going to be, it'll be blackballed. There won't be any, you know, you'll never hear from them. They'll be in Siberia. Well, considering <laughs> that, you know, you've heard this figure a number of times that 50% or more of the uh, people uh, believe there was fraud in the election. More than 50. I think the last poll showed that it's it's up to almost 60% now, 85% Republicans, so about a third like of Democrats. Be, how would you like to be the president coming in 
under those conditions. Better, better if they get rid of Trump. I don't think they care. I mean, they just, uh, you know, they, they they figure they'll they'll tough it out and they'll ride it out. You know, they don't seem to care. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they'll they'll smear their enemies. They'll use all of the old tools in the in the toolkit about how to um, how to stop it and how to defeat it. They may overstep themselves, in which case we're going to have people on the streets. You know, the Trump movement has been is real. You know, Trump probably won a landslide and those are real people. You know, it's not going to go away. And if they're going to get nasty about it and start to smear people, I think there's going to be a big, big reaction. I I truly believe there's going to be a huge overreach. Yeah, it always has been. Well, that's how they usually do. I mean, they they overreach themselves and they step in it. And, you know, if they are successful in this coup d'etat, then yeah, I mean it's gonna they, they better I mean I hope they don't stop marching in like like you know like um, you, you know Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon because they ain't gonna work. No, I don't think so. And and so much in the narrative is falling apart. I mean on an unrelated but important issue, uh, there was an article I think they come up today. Let me see. Uh, yes, an American thinker. I mean not that this is news right. okay. following this but that every thing that they've closed in New York and LA and other places uh, contributes de minimis to the spread of COVID. Uh, And 74% of cases they're saying come from within the home. So in other words, the exact advice that they're giving you to stay home is what's infecting people. That makes sense because you're in a closed environment. Yeah. So uh, uh, I have a feeling that even the liberals in New York, when there's no restaurants, are going to start objecting. And there's, there, there's been, uh, let's say, peaceful protests about this. I'm not sure how much longer they're going to stay peaceful if people can't make a living because of these dictatorial actions of this government. Uh, there's a recall movement in California for Newsom. Right. Uh, there's recall movements all the time, but uh, the last successful one was Gray Davis. And that's how we got Schwarzenegger back then. Uh, Did they successfully take Davis out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it was really kind of sad because that was sort of uh, being the, in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, everything that they were complaining about with Gray Davis was caused by Jerry Brown in the previous administration. Uh And I actually met Gray Davis um, at, uh, of all places, Good Shepherd Church in Beverly Hills, believe it or not, Uh and spoke to him for a couple of minutes. But he was a war hero. I mean, he was a liberal, but he he was a war hero. Right, a legitimate guy. Yeah, he he had a pretty good uh, uh, resume in terms of, political uh, offices in California and so on. And he just got hammered because he inherited that stupid spot market power deal that had been brought in by Jerry Brown. Uh So uh, the state was going bankrupt, paying for power because of course they didn't build any plants. And that's when the rolling blackout started. So he was just having to be the guy Right. He was the, he was the, he was the captain of the Titanic at the moment. I get it. Yeah, he inherited it. Yeah. So so there was a recall. 
he was gone. Uh, but there's a lot of people, and not just Republicans, that are getting real tired of uh, Governor Gruesome or Nuisance or whatever they call him. Yeah, same thing I think in Michigan with uh, with oh, uh, that, no, the, the, wick, the Wicked Witch of the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just bad uh, news. Interesting times. But uh, then again, uh, I wanted to say something about this issue of, well, well, what's happened? Why are so many of these people compliant? And, and why is there this, this huge liberal mentality uh, that seems to certainly be in the mainstream? And I'm afraid it goes back to the dismantling of the educational system that started actually in the early 60s. Yeah, um, no, I don't doubt that. I mean, and uh, I think a lot of the people that hate Trump to the point yeah. where they're willing to commit crimes to, to try to uh, stop him. You know, these people who are counting the votes, these people who are putting Sharpies into um, machine voting so they can take the ballots out and then throw them out. Right. They can count them, you know, so-called. These people are products of our rotten education system. Well, I, I, I remembered something from when I was in the 10th grade, which was a long time ago. That was 1963. And I remember this incident that we were, it was some world history to whatever it was. We're studying, among other things, Russia. Mm -hmm. And they talk about communism. And then there was a little sidebar in the book that was titled, What's Wrong with Marxism? And it went into the standard points uh, erosion of incentive and so on and so forth. Well, the student teacher uh, stopped the proceedings, and I you can see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. It said, "Okay, class, what's wrong with what's wrong with Marxism?" And she goes in to start defending Marxism. And you know, I'm 15 years old. I'm kind of mm, all right, but. For that attitude to, to come into this classroom where she was taking essentially that sort of pro-communist position in a public high school, um, I guess was a harbinger of something I didn't realize until much later was going on. And Now, was she like a, like a, a fill-in, like a substitute teacher? No, they had, uh, I suppose in all school districts, she was studying at UCLA. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and you have to do one or two semesters of student teaching. So she was one of these uh, very self-assured. I'm sure she was bright in her own way, but she was had already been indoctrinated uh, in college uh, with this left-wing point of view. And is just like, uh, a virus that spread through uh, the yeah. entire system. So you, it's almost like you can't really blame anybody under the age of, of what, 50? Right. For, way. for having these points of view, because that's all they were taught. Now, maybe some of them had the intellectual wherewithal uh, to rebel against it, but in college, it was difficult to rebel against it because... Uh, I remember a lot of professors that were left-wing saying, of course, if you write this essay and you disagree with me, if you can support it, you'll get an A+. Well, they never did. It never worked that way. Mm. Uh, it was a threat, really. Yeah, yeah. 
In other words, if you can't support it, according to me. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I had a very similar experience. I mean, as you talk about this, I recall I was in, I think, fourth grade elementary school. Yeah. And we had like a substitute teacher came come in. And at the time we were studying history and we were talking about Russia. And this guy came up and said, you know, you're getting it all wrong. The Soviet Union is a great society. No, and, here you go. and he went on what can only be described as the most communistic analysis. And I was impressionable that, you know, we were all fourth grade kids. I remember that I went home after school that day. We had a relative visiting from out of state. And I told her what I had learned. And she almost had a heart attack. She yeah. was so upset. And I'm like, why are you so upset? This is what we're learning. And I was like, I didn't understand it. I couldn't quite assimilate the information. But that's that's how they operate. I mean, I think that they, you have this with like sex education too. You know, they don't tell the parents. They have somebody come in and give a presentation and then they disappear. And it's a one, right? And it's like a one-time thing, but it has like a, a bombastic impact. It's like dropping a bomb. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they have perfect deniability. Wow, you know, this was a contractor yeah. and we didn't know and we're so- That's right. Or just, and, and people almost forget it happened. It's like yeah. they internalize yeah. it and they're like, move on. And it sort of becomes a part of your, yeah. you know, it, it's like, a, as you say, it's like a virus well, that's see, embedded into you. The other thing is that if leftism is a religion, uh, people outside that sphere actually have lives. And it's, it's very easy for me to say, you know, get on school boards and go and complain and so on. But most people don't want to do that. But the problem is that the people on the left do want to do that. And this is what changes curriculum. Uh, how did Howard Zinn's book get in the schools? It's a piece of complete poison. And uh, yeah. it's so, yeah. it's, a, it's, the, it's worse than a glass half empty. It is negative propaganda. It's yeah. like, it's classic leftism in that you could say that technically he is not saying anything that is flatly untrue in that book, but the way that it's presented and the way that it's stripped away of any context or any nuance in terms of actually looking at the course of history. I mean, I actually had Howard Zinn on my program. I wish oh, I had a word. I didn't know. Oh yeah, I wish I had a tape of it. This is before the days of the internet. Yeah. It's when I was first starting out. And I also had Noam Chomsky on quite a few times and Noam Chomsky actually was a fairly nice guy, but Howard Zinn was the classic leftist revolutionary. Angry, angry. Angry, arrogant. He had all of the physical features, you know, with the, with the facial tics and the, you know, the, 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 the spasms and the cooing and the slurpy noises and all the stuff that the communists do. I mean, the man was a walking, talking leftist. It could have been Marx. You know, this is, uh, he, embraced, he embodied all of the memes. And he was, how dare you question me? And, you know, what is, I mean, it was just one of the, a totally hostile interview. He never came back. Unlike Chomsky, who did come back several times. How did you get in in the first place? Well, back in the day, I mean, this is, I was doing the show, I think, at Tufts University, and, you know, he probably didn't realize, you know, he thought, you know, he probably didn't realize I'm conservative. And uh, people like to go on the air and debate, you know, they, uh, yeah, yeah. it was a little more open back then than it is now. And I could, I could just, I think I've mentioned that I did the show at Tufts in, I think it was uh, like 
1999, 2000, when I was first starting in, getting involved okay. with radio as a hobby. And when I went there, you know, the, I, I remember the, all the, the talk show hosts were like pierced with blue hair and everybody was hippies <laughs> and, you know, it was all very left, but yet it was friendly and the people yeah. were, they'd come in, they'd debate me. I had, I mean, that's when I had Barney Frank on, in fact, whom I eventually ran against in, in, in an election. But people were willing to debate and they were willing to talk, even if you didn't agree. And even if you sometimes got heated, mostly it was all a good debate. Sometimes you'd have a few laughs, you know, there was a good solid dialogue. Then I went, you know, 20 years later, I went back to Tufts. This was- Oh, oh you did? Okay. I did briefly. This was in, um, you know, Donald Trump had just been elected. It was, I, I, I started like a, about a month before the election, right? And uh, the atmosphere was completely different. There was no more laughter. There was no more tolerance. There was no one willing to even talk to me, except like, you know, like, you know, like Trump, don't tell me, you know, out of the side of their mouth. Nobody would come on with me. Noam Chomsky wouldn't come on, even though he did back then. And it wasn't me personally. It was just that the atmosphere of intolerance had become so severe. And then I find out after I was on the air for a few months doing a weekly show that I was called by a reporter at the, at the college newspaper who said that I had been, that somebody had reported me to this sensitivity police. I don't know what they were called. I mean, they, they like the, uh, the code police, I don't have a name for it. It was like a Gestapo. Basically, what happens is that if somebody says something that triggers you, that's unsensitive, that you feel like it was offensive in some way, oh dear, you can contact this this officer. Yeah, and they will then call you in and interrogate you, and you could end up getting. You know, if you're a student, you could your parents could be called. You could end up being kicked out of school. You could have a demerit on your on your, um, you know, on your name. I mean, it's very, it's very chilling. It's oh, what, like, was, what was the statement that you made that, that so violated? Uh, well, I had made some comment about Islamic terrorism. I had done the program oh. the day after there was an Islamic attack in Paris. Yeah. Right. You might recall this. No, oh, yeah. And I had, I had described the attack in graphic terms, which is a no-no apparently. And maybe I shouldn't have. But I, I was like upset at the time. And I was like, this is something that we ought to be concerned about in the United States. And uh, for that, they, they said that I'm, I'm Islamophobic and that um, basically there was some guy listening to me and he became so upset and agitated that he, he called them. And um, they didn't call me in because, you know, I'm not a student. I mean, and I don't care. You know, I'm just, a, I'm a citizen. You know, they allow community hosts to come in and do shows every so often. But what they did do was they took my time slot and they moved it to three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they, they just deep sixed me in that way. And I, I went, I, I, I would go at three o'clock in the morning, but eventually I, I said, F this, I'm not going to continue. Three o'clock in the morning, you were very yeah. dangerous. Yeah, I think it was four o'clock in the morning, actually. So it was like the graveyard. And, and you know, it's just the, the thing was so lacking in, in, in humor. You know, it's like, even if I did say something wrong, you'd think that maybe somebody could have mentioned it to me and, and, and I could have, you know, ch I, was, I, I really was going out of my way to observe community standards. And, um, you know, it was, it was 
it was probably something that you'd hear normally in in other talk shows. It was pretty mild. Yeah, they were just looking for something. Yeah, that's right. And but that to me explained what's going on in school today. It was like a it was like I was Rumpelstiltskin in the great Washington Irving novel. It's like <laughs> I had been asleep for twenty years. You know, and, and he wakes no, up. No, no, Rip Van Winkle. Rip Van Winkle, thank you're, you. You're mixing stories here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's asleep for 20 years in hibernation, and then he wakes up, and suddenly it's a different world. Yeah. So I had this Rorschach examination of Tufts, which I think is typical of all colleges, you know, give or take. Maybe Tufts might be a little more radical, but, you know, it's uh, it, it was like night and day. So that's what's going on now. You don't have students coming up and engaging in, in vigorous debate anymore. They're afraid. And I understand that. I don't blame them. You've got these Gestapo-like policemen who could destroy you, who could, you know, your parents are spending 60, 70 grand a year for you to go to this place. So you keep your head low. You know, you don't, you don't do anything that, that's going to get you in trouble. And, and, and most of them have internalized this anyways, even before getting there. They're in the program. They know what's correct and what's not correct. They just have learned it. They've internalized it. And they're not even conscious of it. I've seen this, you know, and they, so, so, and yet you see if, if, if somebody does step out of line, an extreme, even hysterical reaction. Um, and I think that what they need to do every so often, which they tried to do to me with this article that was very, very nasty, I must say, um, is that they'll hold somebody up and, and do what, 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 you know, back in the Spanish Inquisition, they'd call an auto da fe. Yeah. You know, they would, you bring them out in public and humiliate them and flog them and make them confess and, and you know, basically kill them. And uh, they do that every so often to somebody who steps out of line, somebody who expresses an opinion that's not part of the leftist, you know, decalogue. And uh, as a way to threaten everybody, because people see that and they see the article that was written about me in that paper and they're like, oh, and by the way, I republished it on my blog site. I'm, I'm, I have no problem with it. But, but the thing is that they're like, oh, look what they've done to him. If they can do that to him, they can do it to me. You know, it's a very kind of threatening internal thing. If I say this. Well, that, that, that was certainly the most uh, operandi for Trump, uh, the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. if Trump could be taken out in this manner. Uh, yeah, well, let, well, you know, if I don't know if TikTok is any example, but I do a TikTok every, you know, every morning, a quick thirty-second interview, talk about what I where I see with the election going, and uh, you know, I mean, I pick up maybe four or five followers, and maybe I had a few minor surges. I got like twenty followers. All of a sudden, last Sunday morning, I did a TikTok, nothing unusual, but I ended up getting two thousand followers. And you know, it was like it was like blowing out of the wind, you know, the, the the whole thing. And now I can go live on TikTok and do a little more of a long-term talk because I what did you do to get two thousand all at once? I just did what I did every day. There was nothing out of the ordinary. I talk about the, the voter fraud and I talk about the election, but it wasn't anything that was different than I had done all the other times. For some reason, it triggered something. It took off, and. Uh, once you reach a thousand followers, you can go live. So now I'm up to 2000 followers and I'm going live and it's fun. It's interesting. But the thing I've noticed because people send in texts and I can read them and answer them. It's almost like a talk show, but I've noticed that in the past couple, it's kind of a raw shark because in the past couple of days, the 
the emails I'm getting or the texts I'm getting from other TikTok people are getting really nasty and really personal. And, you know, there's like how, you know, you, you're this, that, and the other thing. I mean, you know, stuff that's, you know, not, not kind. And, and what that tells me is that um, th there, there's at least some few shreds of conscience buried inside of them that they do realize that this is a fraud and they do realize that I'm right. And so they suddenly have this, this intense need to tear me down and to make sure that I'm not heard. I had one guy actually say, you should not be allowed to be on TikTok. I mean, it was very threatening. You know, it's like, you, you don't deserve it because you're spreading misinformation. And I tried to be reasonable about it. I'm like, well, fine. Can you give me an example? I understand you don't agree with me, but I wouldn't want you taken down. You know, it's like, but you, they're not reasonable. It's not like something you can discuss rationally. They're, they're having a meltdown. There are people who are just, their heads are exploding. And, and that tells me that either one of two things, either that they, they're upset that they're, they're starting to dawn on them that I am right and they do have some awareness or that Trump is winning, that he is gonna do this. And if he does do it and he is reelected, holy crap can you imagine that's going to be a glorious day and it's going to set people off in a way that we have never seen it's going to be just i mean i don't even want to think about it because it's so it would be so great i mean it would be so exciting <laughs> i mean i just i would just i'd love this i mean it would be like yes you know justice is done and you know at people's core people want justice done they want the truth to come out. They understand that there's that there are lies. Nobody wants to live a lie. And some people might live a lie their entire life and they're probably pretty miserable people too. But average people who are sucked into this, they still have a nagging little something going on in the back of their heads telling them to wake up. And that's all I'm saying to people, yeah, wake up, so. do I mean, your own research. I'm telling people that they're like, there's no fraud. I'm like, okay, take off your ideological blinders and just do a little homework for yourself. Don't listen to what people are saying. Go, you know, listen to a couple of YouTubes. Listen to the interview given by with uh, Sidney Powell. I know that she's now an enemy of the people. I get that. But she did give an interview. I don't know if it's still on YouTube. I hope it is. But she gave an interview with a reporter from the Epic Times that is carried by Eric Metaxas. His, yeah. his, uh, was, I don't know if you know who he is. Yes. He's excellent. He's very, very good. And he, he, he carries the entire interview. And if you listen to it, it is extremely compelling. She lays out exactly what's happened. And she does so in a really dramatic way. So, you know, I just say people, look, I can't go into on a TikTok the details of the voter fraud. You're going to have to do your own research. But I would ask you to even quietly, you don't even need to tell anybody. <laughs> and I don't want to get you in trouble. You know, don't <laughs> even tell your girlfriend or don't tell your, your parents, you know, don't mention it at school. Just in the privacy of your own home, do a little homework and try to think a little bit on your own a little independently. That's all I ask these people to do. Well, I suspect that uh, there are some people on that side that are disenchanted. They certainly see 
who's been elected or supposedly. Yeah. Uh, you have this corrupt old guy who seems to be in poor health, is, is probably uh, in some stage of, of dementia. Uh, and the vice president for him is no prize. I mean, there no, are I mean, few I, lovers of Kamala Harris. No. And, and, and again, I mean, I, I tell people, you know, take a look what she did to black people in, in, in California, the numbers of men she put in prison for minor crimes because yeah. she was in bed with the private prison system. I mean, we're talking about somebody who has no scruples, no inner core, no basic moral standard. It's just whatever is needed to, to accomplish whatever goal, whoever's controlling her at, the, at, at any given time. I mean, you know, you want to talk racism, you know, take a look at what she, you know, she did to the parents of these people. I mean, there's some stories about her that are horrendous. Everyone knows this in California. Well, that's why she couldn't break one or two percent uh, during the primary season. Right. It's, uh, a, it's disgusting. I don't even want to think about it. That's too depressing. I it mean, is. The, I, I, I'm not prepared. I mean, I'm getting, as I mentioned, people who want to come on the show who want to talk about, and these are conservatives. They want to, we yeah. want to criticize this Biden appointee or that person. I'm like, no, I'm not, I, I'm just not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to have that conversation. I'm not prepared for it yet. It's not over yet. And um, while I hope that, that President Trump doesn't have to take those extraordinary measures we talked about, he very well may have to do it because we can't have a stolen election in this country. Otherwise we don't have a system of laws we have to have, you know, and I've mentioned to people who tell me, oh, there's no evidence. Do you uh, want to see an investigation then, given the fact that 60% of the American people think that there is evidence? What about having a reasonable, dispassionate investigation? And that's all. I mean, if they do that in the states that we're talking about, and it turns out that there really wasn't a sufficient amount of voter fraud, or it turns out that Biden actually did win, then I'll accept that. You know, it's, it's just, but what about the investigation? There is so much information now. There is so much suspicion. There is such a big cloud over this election. And it's not something that was just manufactured by, by Trump or anyone else. Oh, yeah. It's quite real that I would ask people who think that I'm crazy here, just to join me in a, in a demand that this be investigated in these states. Where are the attorneys generals? Where are the state legislatures, the governors in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona? Where are they? Where are the Republicans? They're well, all, they're, they're worthless. No one wants to be the first to step up besides Mo Brooks um, because life goes on. And yeah, they're just, uh, we're gonna, we don't care. We, and they hate Trump anyways. Yeah. You know, the, these establishment people like Mitt Romney. Oh. oh my God. I mean, what a disappointment. You know, he, when he was governor of Massachusetts, I met him a few times. I admired him, but I think that, I think what's happened to Mitt Romney is basically that um, he completely choked in the, in his run against Obama. Talk about election fraud. There was evidence of it back then. You oh, had the demand. Sure. The, the, this Dominion software scandal goes back probably at least 10 or 15 years. This isn't new. And Romney knew it and did not a goddamn thing about it. He just let it go. So now he's bitter. You know, now he looks at Trump and he's like, 
here you are, you know, you accomplished it, you got elected. And it's just sour grapes. It's a disgusting thing to watch. It's really a disgrace. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I just got a little uh, news uh, clip here from your friend, Steve Turley. Oh yeah, great man. He says, uh, Republicans uprising as GOP defies uh, turtle man, Mitch McConnell. So, yeah, exactly. Oh, no, he's doing a great job. He's been on my show a few times. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to come on again. I think he's busy with his own thing. I get that. Yeah. But yeah. but even he is, I think, hedging his bets a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like he's moving on just slightly. I notice he's now talking about, you know, the nationalist revolution and how it's going to go on. And so I think that he's kind of adjusting a little. And I say that with due respect because he's been a great and stellar stand-up guy when it comes to researching voter fraud and and he's continuing with it but i think he's kind of i mean th th this is what i'm seeing i mean it's it's a psychological thing i mean people are like okay we've heard enough and i think that the the supreme court betrayal was in a way a major blow and you know it's going to be harder and harder every day to overcome it yeah, this I mean, is why trump has to take action now if there's if there's any amount of scruples in those three uh, they're going to have to take a look at the Sidney Powell cases. Uh, exactly. And, and and that's going to be a tough one because she's already being demonized. And uh, but she's got the goods. I mean, this Kraken is just that she's it's a sensational thing. It needs to be completely aired. And, you know, they talk about the, uh, the that, that there have been 50 cases thrown out by courts. They have been thrown out, but not because of the evidence. They've been thrown out on technicalities. People have to understand how the court system works. You know, when a case is brought, they look, this even the Supreme Court. Oh, well, this isn't the right jurisdiction, which, by the way, was crap because it yeah. was. Well, of course, that's a, what do they call that, original jurisdiction? Yeah. It doesn't get any more basic than one state suing another. I mean, if they if they were so against jurisdiction, they never would have declared prayer in school yeah. to be illegal because that was not the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. That was a state question. But putting that aside, that's old history. The fact is that all of these cases, which are brought by people usually in these states who feel that they've been disenfranchised, that they've been suppressed and that they weren't allowed to vote and they bring these cases, the cases are not thrown out because the judge actually hears the evidence. It doesn't get that far. No. They just throw it out because, well, they didn't write the right signature or they didn't have the right address at this day or they didn't do this. They didn't do, you know, they find a little... Or you, you know, don't have the standard. And, yeah, and, well, there, there's some, they'll, they'll get some little shred of something that allows them to dismiss the case. So the, the result is that we as a public never actually get to hear the evidence. No. And it's because they know that if the evidence is heard, it's going to be big. And it is there. The Supreme Court really, as a matter of, of moral basis, ought to allow this evidence to finally be heard in its proper format, which is in a court, not in some book that Sidney Powell writes a year from now. I'm sure she will, and I'm sure it'll lay it out and it'll be great, but it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be history. I mean, it has to be heard in public during a debate that is witnessed by everyone while people are under oath and while there's testimony and there's cross-examination and everything is aired. It well, has to be the, done. Here's, here's the other thing. Uh, people don't have the stomach for it. Um, one of the reasons I'm convinced that 
nothing ever happened to Hillary Clinton was that whoever it was got together in the star chamber and said, look, she's as dirty as they come, but how's it going to help if we expose a major presidential candidate as being a criminal? And, and, and this has a, a good history in that all the this, this sex scandals in the church, the original reasoning was, well, you know, yes, this is going on, but it's going to bring such great scandal. Let's move this guy over here. But the problem was they couldn't play whack-a-mole quickly enough. There were too many of these guys, and you start covering up everything, and then it all Yeah, once you, once you start down there, what, what happens is you get a, a two-tiered system of justice. Yeah. And um, I mean, the Hillary Clinton example is a good one. I mean, James Comey, who, by the way, is, I mean, is a real friend of this whole conspiracy. He's one of the core yeah. practitioners. He gave that press conference where he laid out her crimes. And that was only the tip of the iceberg. But nevertheless, he laid out public crimes that would have put anyone else up the Huskow. Yeah. And then he finishes the press conference by saying, we have nevertheless decided that we're not going to prosecute. We're not going to recommend well, that, was, that was another one of these. Hey, it's in your face. Yeah. You can't do anything. And we're it. not going to do anything. Yeah. We're just going to leave it there. And it gave her deniability. And, uh, you know, and, and she continued to to ride on that time. I mean, hey, I was I was exonerated, you know. Yeah. I mean, maybe somebody didn't want to be Arkansas. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. Meanwhile, with the Mueller committee comes out with a report completely exonerating President Trump of this really Vakafta conspiracy theory yeah, yeah. that he had been spying for Russia, which is an ugly false lie, the biggest conspiracy theory of my lifetime. And yet they would not go far to as to say he's been exonerated. Instead, they've create try to create a little cloud. Well, okay. Oh, but we think he might but, have obstructed justice. Why did he obstruct justice? Because he criticized them. Yeah, that's yeah. obstructing justice. Uh, go back to uh, your your friend Franklin Roosevelt and Harry Dexter White, yes, et cetera, et cetera. All right, it eventually came out. Although there's still people that there's that still need... stuff that's classified about that. Yeah. I think I mentioned this to you when I was I was going to write a book about Harry Dexter White, and I was in Washington. Uh, I was there. My wife was there for some business. I went with her, yeah. and I went to the National Archives to do some research. And I discovered that that there's still, you know, you still have to go through a Freedom of Information to get information about yeah. Harry Dexter White. Now, this is something that happened in the in the in the 1940s. You know, we're talking about almost a hundred years ago, there's no reason to keep that classified. Well, I mean, this, they, is, what this it, is- What had happened was that they, they, they like the illusion, okay? And to, this is where I think was the downfall of Joe McCarthy. Right. No, one, no one can seriously argue that the army was not compromised, at least in a signal corps and in probably other places. But to admit this, is yeah. it's not good. It would have brought down the whole rotten house of cards. And that's why they had to destroy McCarthy. That's yeah. why, I mean, this is what Whitaker Chambers did in the trial of the century when he exposed yeah. Alger Hiss. It was, and, and Nixon was the lawyer, by the way, there as a young congressman. And yeah. I think that that's why Nixon eventually was removed from office. 
I, I think that was Mona Charon who did a good column about that. It really left an impact on me. She said that the left will will lie and wait, yeah. you know, even if it takes 20, 30 years. Now she kind of went there. Oh, she did totally. And I've and I've emailed her. She's she's completely flipped to the other side. But what is the deal with her? What 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 has she's gone bitter? I mean, I don't know these 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 anti-Trumpers. It's like they're not sane. I mean, it's it's worse than than the Democrats. They're they're completely demented. I'm sorry. I I mean, I and, and with all due respect, you know, you look at that Lincoln Project. Oh, it was worse propaganda than anything you would hear out of the Democratic side. Their whole argument was, well, Trump is a mean person. He said something mean. He hurt someone's feelings. You know, forget conservative values. These are people that are holding themselves up as Republicans. That's how they start their speeches. They, they did. I don't know if you saw the 60 Minutes segment on them. It was disgusting. I mean, they're like, we have always stood for conservative Republican values, blah, blah, blah. And then they launch into this attack on Trump, not because he wasn't a good conservative, uh, and he's been the best conservative president since Coolidge, but because he had said something insulting or he'd said something mean or he didn't look the right way at someone. It was the most disgusting uh, display of well, This is the legacy of uh, Nelson Rockefeller. Yeah, and it's completely empty. It's completely vacant. And it's it's worse than, I mean, it's really worse than, than uh, George Soros almost. I mean, not that anything yeah. could be worse than that, but it's it's subversive and it's it's just and it didn't work. I mean, yeah. they completely flopped, and uh, you know the, the Republicans got behind Trump in a big way, including liberal Republicans. These people are like out to lunch, and Mona Charon unfortunately seems to be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it was that that turned her. This is yeah, a number of years ago, I believe it was actually before Trump. Uh, I think he probably because he might have made a few insulting comments about women. Might have done it. Oh, oh, there you go. You know, I mean, it's like, come on. I mean, I get the fact that he's not always the most couth person, <laughs> but you know, I mean, you have to kind of put the interest of the country first, and and the interest of what's really happening first. Well, I would think so. You would think so, especially from someone who has, like Mona Charon, who actually has a half a brain. But whatever. Yeah. So, but Mike, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think the most likely course is Mo Brooks finding a counterpart in the Senate. Uh, there's the chance that one of those Supreme Court cases could still get heard. And I'll tell you this, even if, if uh, Biden is given the oath, uh, this movement is not going to stop. No. In fact, his presidency is, is likely going to be quite undermined by all this stuff going on. He's going to have no credibility. That's not going to go away. And it's not good for the country. And yeah. I also would, would suggest that even if, God forbid, he is sworn in as president, we have to continue to investigate the voter fraud. We have to continue oh, to investigate the Dominion software, because if they got away with it now, they'll get away with it again. They have to get rid of those goddamn machines. We have to hand count the vote in the United States, in the precincts where they're cast, with two people watching both a Democrat and a Republican, and you have to have national voter ID. You just have to. Every vote should be, we should go back to the principle of one man, one vote. I mean, you listen to Sidney Powell's presentation. I mean, she talks about how 
the voting machines were set up to average votes. In other words, yeah. like every every Biden vote got like, uh, you know, 2.3. Every Trump vote got 1.7. So in other words, if, if the Trump votes had reached over the 1.7, they'd be, they'd be either switched or thrown out. And the Biden votes would just stay there until they hit their peak. Now, if anyone doubts that, you know, that's obvious. I mean, this is how society works now. You look at a high school, you know, where you have a student who is excelling and getting good grades. They don't get the good grade anymore. Now what they do is they average the, the class. Yes. So that, you know, an A becomes a B and an, and, and an F becomes a D. And they, they find like a meme. They find a, like a mean, like the middle ground so that everybody kind of averages out. That's how things are done now. That's how things are done now. That's a leftist idea. That's how things are done in many areas in our life. So to think that's not happening in the electronic voting well, I mean, is naive at best. Of course, that, that whole paradigm is, is absurd on its face because, uh, as I said on a couple of shows, this is simply a database. It's a counting database. It's the easiest thing in the world. There should be no module that lets you do anything other than count this. That's all. You don't well, need right. all these. We don't, we don't need any of it. And, and, and I mean, this is how they came up with global warming, not to get into another topic, yeah. but it's all computer uh, projections and uh, data analysis. Uh, what? Well, it's, it's models. Yeah, it, it, that's it, right. It, and it, I'm not saying it's untrue, but the point is that what we know about it is based upon these averages and these data points. It's and, not empirical science. That's right. But to do this to a vote is unconscionable. Every single last vote is counted with its own integrity. That is the closest thing that we have in our secular republic to a sacred act. Every single vote has to be equal. Well, it has to be individually counted. There is no other excuse for now, any of how, this. How far that goes back? Well, there's, al there's always been, and there's always been voter fraud. I get that. You know, in, in a way, we're returning to some very dark times. People might note, if you look at the history of voting in this country, back in uh, the early part of the Republic, in many states, people voted in public. They didn't have a private booth. Right. They would go to a local hall and they would have people raise their hands. And if you raised your hand and you were voting for the wrong guy, you could end up getting your head bashed in. I mean, this is how, uh, you know, the, the novelist John Fenneman Cooper, who wrote Lost of the Mohicans, his father was killed because he was supporting the wrong candidate and he raised his hand in a public venue when they were voting. So, I mean, the whole movement to bring about the private secret vote, the, uh, you know, the voting booth, was a progressive movement. And it was something that didn't come around easily. It, it took a long time to achieve that. And, and what this whole machine does is it's destroyed that. You know, your vote now goes into a database where it can be manipulated by people. It's no longer the, you know, the, the, the vote cast and counted. I mean, it really is a return to a darker time. I mean, this isn't, you know, this is something that, that I mean, the, the fact that liberals and the left, in a way, are so silent about this is really telling. You know, I remember oh, back, sure. I think it was in 2009 or, two, or, or back then, you had liberal left-wing talk show hosts like um, 
like Tom Hartman and and uh, David Packman and uh, Schultz. What's his name? They did show Ed, after show. Who? Ed Schultz. Ed Schultz. They did program after program after program about voter fraud and about the machines being controlled by Republicans. You know, you That's know, big right. money, corporate interests, and all of this. Now you don't hear a friggin' peep out of them. No, no, no. They didn't care. It's all situational. The fact that you hear nothing out of them tells you everything you need to know about this. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, we just have to keep following it. <laughs> yeah, we do. And, uh, and see where, where it leads us. In the, uh, the only comment I'll make on the uh, healthcare side is uh, I'm a little bit disturbed with the. Uh, although they're certainly not a high number, but the side effects on the Pfizer vaccine are not pleasing to hear. Really? Uh, What's going on? Three, three cases of Bell's palsy oh. coming out of the clinical trials, uh, which will give you some pause. I mean, I can understand how if you have an immune overreaction and you may feel some flu symptoms for a day or whatever it is, but this Bell's palsy thing is, is a little crazy. Uh, and uh, even, uh, what's this guy, guy's name? Paul Offit. Who oh, is, yeah, he's very pro-vaccine. Yeah, Mr. Fanboy for vaccines yeah. is now raising a bit of, just say, look, I'm concerned about this. Okay. So Well, that's uh, concerning because he's been pushing vaccines for, for decades. Oh, no, I mean, and I just, you know, there's going to be problems with, with vaccines, but I think I think there's a dose issue with this. That's my personal opinion. Uh, Moderna doesn't, well, we haven't heard much about their clinical trials. So who knows? Well, their, their thing is about to go on the market. That's I right. Think, I think uh, next week. Next week, it's uh, opening up. They have the extreme advantage of not requiring this ridiculous uh, cold storage situation. Uh, so we'll just have to see. But it's going to be a long time oh boy, yeah. before you or me even are going to have access to this. Right. So at least we'll get to, unfortunately, see whether or not it pans out. I mean, it's sad to say that. Well, I mean, look. They, There's they, also stories about it affecting female fertility. Yeah. I don't know if you've yeah. seen that. Yeah, yeah. There's So and you know, whether these are stories, whether it's happened, but the logistic of the is, is insane. You have 330 million people in the country. They have 3 million doses. So, I mean, do, do, do the math. It's going to take a while. Right. Okay. So well, we'll, uh, we'll have to pick up the cords on that one next week. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that and some of these COVID restrictions. Yes. In the meantime, you know, keep, agi the keep agitating and keep praying. <laughs> yeah. That's about all I can do. Yeah. And Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you very much. And happy Hanukkah. And Merry Christmas. I, I, I celebrate Christmas in a secular way. Well, and even though I'm Jewish, I honor Jesus because I think that had it not been for Jesus and his ministry, we would never have had a United States. Well, he was the greatest Jew of all time. So that's exactly. Fun. And he brought the Jewish covenant, the, the Torah to the world. And those are the laws that found this country. So I honor Jesus. I view Jesus as American in that reason. So I'm happy to celebrate his holiday, his birth. Sounds good to me. Okay. All right. So, Mike, I'll talk to you next week. All right. See you then. All right.